Choke points. Let's go. Snow driving edition. Well, just in case we get a little snow someplace, we thought we'd have Chris uh, go over his top snow driving tips. Yeah, especially for those uh, down in the lowlands, because I know a lot of people who live around here who have never been up over Snoqualmie or Stevens. And, uh, you know, so when we get into the lowlands, it's just a good reminder. And of course, first, let me say that I know all of you listening are fabulous snow drivers. I'm really reaching out to everybody else who might be a little nervous or lack some snow driving experience. Number one is a no brainer. Just slow down. Speed is a killer on slick roads. It can make you lose control faster and lose precious time to recover from a skid or a slide. Speed also goes with overconfidence, one in your abilities and two in the abilities of your vehicle. Four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive is great for getting traction. It does nothing for stopping. Once you lock your brakes, you're done. As one state trooper once told me, 18-wheel drive won't help stop you. And to reinforce that, here's a little advice with some piano backup from a AAA safety video. Plan your maneuvers well in advance and do one thing at a time. Brake, then turn, then accelerate. And keep your speed way down. You need to avoid heavy braking. Once you've lost traction, as I said, you're done. You can try downshifting your car, even your automatic, to help slow you down. It always works best if you're already going slow when you do this. I know it's you know bad for your transmission, but you can do it every so often. It's a, it's a good little uh, tool for you. If you're going to use the brakes, apply steady and firm pressure. Next good tip is a really good one. Always look and steer where you want to go on wet roads. When driving in snow, be sure to accelerate and decelerate slowly to help maintain traction and avoid skids. Look where you want to go. I can't emphasize this one enough. Don't focus on what you might hit. It sounds simple, but in a skid, we all get a little nervous, right? We're all a little like, whoa, what are we doing here? If you're looking where you want to go, your instincts and your muscles will help make you work the vehicle back to where you want to go. I found this out in Portland a couple years ago. I was skidding down a hill, and I started worrying about the parked cars on the side of the road that I was about to hit. In fact, I was looking at them as I was going right towards them very slowly. And then I turned my eyes to the left and focused on where I wanted to go, and then I worked through that skid. It really works. Look where you want to go. And you'll go there. As for the skids, always turn in the direction you are skidding. If your rear end starts kicking out to the right, you turn the wheel to the right. That will help you recover faster. If you turn to the left in that scenario, your rear end's just going to kick out even more and you're going to start going in circles. And as uh, the guy said in the video, don't make any maneuvers too fast. Don't turn too fast. Don't brake too fast. Small, controlled motions are always better. And as a family member, unfortunately, found out the hard way on I-90 in Montana, <laughs> never use your cruise control on snow or ice. Well, what happened there? Well, he didn't realize the car was going to stop as it started to make a curve. He just kept going uh, and lost control. <laughs> yeah, the car doesn't care what you're on if you got cruise control going. So, yeah, just some simple things uh, as a reminder uh, if you get it. Uh, but, again, speed is the number one, and we'll get through it okay. I hope so. Right now, another long-hidden story from the Second World War. Elizabeth White is a senior historian at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum and the co-author of The Counterfeit Countess, the untold story of the Jewish heroine who defied the Holocaust, is a story of a woman who managed to convince the Nazis that she was a Polish countess to gain access to prisoners in Polish concentration camps and help to free many of them. 
Why was it important to tell the story? Well, I think, you know, it's very important to look particularly at at the experiences of marginalized uh, groups, including women and children, uh, when they're undergoing these terrible experiences of genocide and war. But particularly with reference to the explosion of anti-Semitism now, uh, which often involves Holocaust denial or distortion, these stories are very important for counteracting the stereotypes that are often used to justify hatred of the Jews. Mm. These stories help us to see beyond the incomprehensible figure of six million victims to the individuals behind it who, like all of us, loved, laughed, argued, struggled to provide better lives for themselves and their children. And now we see people, even beyond anti-Semitism, just increasingly entrenching themselves in identities that exclude, fear, even hate other groups. These stories remind us of our common humanity and of the risk that we all run when we fail to confront hatred and to defend the dignity that is intrinsic to every human life. And we asked Elizabeth if she sees any parallels to anti-Semitism today. Any Holocaust historian will tell you that there are, are lots of things going on today that, that are cause for concern. Uh, as I mentioned, this increasing polarization and entrenchment in identities that, that spread hatred towards the others. And, um, so, yes, there are a lot of parallels. Mm. And in, in U.S. politics, is, is there anything screaming to you there that you go, hey, pay attention to this, because this is the road that we saw people go down in, in World War II? When people become entrenched in these identities that, that reject others and, and hate others and then say that they're there's no way that we can work with them. There's no common ground. We shouldn't even be concerned about them. And then people even engage in, in dehumanizing language, which makes these people seem less than human. Yes, that that is one of the danger signs for genocide. And what drives it today? Now that we've, after the experience of World War II and the horrors of the, the Holocaust, you would think that would sober up people, and yet it didn't. Not even, not even in Poland. Not even once, uh, once the war was supposedly over and this this horror had been stopped, uh, it continued. I mean, have you put your finger on what the fuel is behind this? Well, it's basically human nature. Um, when when people are are afraid uh, and and angry because of what's going on in their lives, they're eager to find scapegoats and uh, they become very open to uh, leaders in particular who fan those flames and, and, and claim that all their listeners' problems are the fault of this group of people who are, aren't even really worthy of being called human. Right. But I mean, we know this and we know that it doesn't make your lot in life any better to go down this path. So is there anything currently operating out there that that uh, that can account for the energy that's behind some of this uh, hatred? Well, I think that uh, 
hate speech and what in the genocide prevention field we call dangerous speech in particular, you know, it's, it's much easier to weaponize today because of social media. And so that's, and there's no way to get control of that, huh? I mean, because social media also is very good at spreading stories like the one that you, that you recount here, which again, teaches, teaches the lesson that uh, no matter how bad your lot in life is, it's not improved by trying to make somebody else's lot in life worse. Yes, that's true. And and there is a lot of that on social media. And I think it's it's very important for that to use social media to establish certain norms uh, of how we should deal with each other as fellow human beings. And to the uh, current war between Israel and Gaza, uh, do you see warning signs there? Well, yes, I, I think, you know, that that is part of what's flaming anti-Semitism today. And, and I, you know, there's a lot of uh, worrying speech on both sides and, and you know, actually, and acts, particularly the Hamas attack uh, in Israel could potentially be termed genocide because of the intent behind it. And then there's a lot of worry about what uh, Israeli forces are doing in Gaza as well. It's certainly flaming the fans of, of, of a hatred, of group hatred, uh, which makes uh, conflicts ever more intractable. And is there an antidote to that? I think anything that we can do to remind ourselves that we are all individuals, uh, we are all more like each other than we are different, uh, that we all are deserving of dis- respect and have dignity, and that when we don't preserve that dignity and respect, then we run the risk ourselves of becoming victims of this kind of violence. Elizabeth White, historian of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum and the co-author of The Counterfeit Countess, The Untold Story of the Jewish Heroine Who Defied the Holocaust. Full interview, by the way, on the Ross Files podcast page at MyNorthwest.com. It goes up right after the show. I think that's the first time I've heard you say vibe. Really? Yeah. Maybe a historic day. Checking the vibes. (laughs) Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. Life can be difficult for some disabled dogs. And in California, there's one human that's willing to save them. There's a family of dogs in Huntington Beach, California, known for being unstoppable. They're different breeds, and they come from different troubled pasts. But they've all been given a second lease on life by a woman named Debbie Pearl, who trains dogs for movies. And since 2005, her personal pack has been making the rounds as therapy dogs. The first dog with a disability she adopted was Eddie, Fast Eddie. Eddie was definitely my inspiration for adopting other disabled dogs. He was so full of life. He never let anything slow him down. I mean, he truly was what you would say the word unstoppable encompasses. He just was full of life and he inspired so many people. About once a week, Debbie gathers up the pack and takes them to hospitals, schools, or the Easter Seals, a nonprofit that helps adults with disabilities. And they all have various injuries. They're all survivors of abuse. She calls them the unstoppable dogs because they can teach others a lesson in tenacity. So all of these dogs are extremely resilient for sure. But one dog definitely stands out above all the rest. And that dog, I think, is Elliot. 
So Elliot is a victim of extreme abuse. He lost all four of his legs at the hands of humans. And he is now got four prosthetic legs. And this is a dog that never walked for a year of his life. And now he's relearning to walk again. Even though they may be in a wheelchair, even though they may be missing a limb, they're making the best of their life, even despite what has happened. So they just go on living and they live their life to the fullest. And I think that says a lot that hopefully others can take from that because it doesn't matter maybe what has happened to you in the past or what you're dealing with at this moment, live because you can live a great life and be happy. Happy and unstoppable. A little morning inspiration from dogs. Well, who does that to a dog? Well, I I know. It's hard to talk about. And here is G. Scott. So tell us about this farewell dinner for Pete Carroll. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) That's the exact opposite thing he told you to ask about. G walked into the studio while we were in commercial break, and he said, just don't ask me about the dinner last night. Yeah, he didn't mean it, though. I'm pretty sure he did. Dave Ross did the exact right thing. I'm pretty sure he did. I'm a news person. It's not a secret. It's all over the web. No. That was just funny. All right. Good timing. Yeah. Anyways, good morning to you guys. Good morning. morning, How about that dinner? (laughs) So, apparently, according to Twitter, I open up the Twitter and I see, oh, there was a dinner at Legion, right? Last night, it seems like. This is a restaurant. A restaurant over in Bellevue. That's the restaurant that Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor own. Also, their other partner, Leigh. Got to give her love, too. And it looks like in this picture... That they had a nice little deal for Pete. It looks mm-hmm. there's Cam Chancellor in there, yeah. Russell Wilson, we were, oh, Russell Tyler Lockett, Russell was there. As a matter of fact, it was his picture. So, oh, so that was so cool. He's the one that made it public. He's dinner. the one that made it. No nobody else posted a picture. Russell posted the picture. It was like, hey. So what does that mean? I don't I don't know. Anything? No. He just likes people to know he's still in the in the in the in crowd. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Just just letting everybody know it, it, it was okay, cool. Okay, so help me out here. So uh, I I listened to some of your podcasts. Went back to listen to KJ Wright show. This has been brewing for months apparently, and there's something nobody wants to talk about. It's been it was referred to as the situation, which I think is a Jersey Shore reference. <laughs> Do you want to tell me what the, what's going on here? What, GTL. It, it, would you say situation as far as Pete Carroll? Yeah, the locker room. Oh, the locker, the room. locker room. Yeah. Well, first, I don't know if what has been going on over the last month or so uh, has any reflection on what happened with the decision to uh, do away with Pete Carroll. Mm -hmm. The situation that has been talked about has been some of the opinions about player-to-player accountability. One of the things that has happened was when when Jamal Adams had come out and he had uh, basically, when he didn't get, wasn't a starter, he essentially was like, okay, he didn't even show up to the game. And as a matter of fact, the next three games he didn't even show up to. So that, when that happened, that was being talked about. 
Okay. Right. So I don't know if some of these things that have happened. And then, of course, at the end of the last game, the Arizona Cardinals game, there was the cigars in the locker room. And there was an opinion about that. The people felt like, oh, you're not making it to the playoffs. Why are you guys smoking cigars in there? But what they were doing was is they were celebrating Julian Love's child. Oh. He had his child two weeks ago. And then he felt like he felt like that was the moment to celebrate that that time. Is it fair that that he's out at, at- as head coach and an advisor, is this something you saw coming? Or, no, no, no absolutely. Coming. But now that it's happened, do you go, okay, yeah, I, I get it as an organization why you would do that? I think you always have to respect whatever an organization that you support, whatever decisions that they make, right? Um, this is going to be something that whoever is going to be the next head coach, these are going to be huge shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you an angle last night that I thought of, um, that cigar story that I just told you about. Former Seahawk John Ryan took to Twitter. I love him. Yeah, and he was upset about that. And he was really, and he even said it. He says, I'm shaking with anger because he didn't like that moment. And last night I was thinking, huh, that's really the first time that an ex-player has come out and said something that they don't like about the team. It's not the culture they recognize. It's not the team they recognize. Right. Yeah. And so here's where I came up with last night. Is this now that Pete Carroll is gone? Will this be a thing now? Is it a possibility that former players who are used to seeing a certain standard will now be like, okay, Pete's gone. Now I can kind of say what I want to say. I just, I I just, I just wanted to, I just thought about those things last night, but yesterday, this morning, when I woke up this morning, it seriously felt like a breakup, right? Like you wake up, you're like, man, did that just happen? So, uh, love Pete Carroll. Uh, really appreciate everything he's done. By the way, that podcast you did with Doug Baldwin and KJ Wright. Yeah. Whoa. What a roller coaster. I know. Does it? I was in tears part of the time. That was me. You were in tears. You, you find, find, search that out if you can. That was a great podcast. Where do we find that podcast, G? I'll tell you off the air. Okay. okay. <laughs> what about the listeners? Well, legislature is starting to rock and roll. There's uh, already a bill being introduced by a Democrat in Olympia that could remove Donald Trump's name from the March 12th primary ballot. Let's go to our legislative correspondent, Matt Markovich. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Colleen. Yeah, I thought I'd do a little deeper dive on this uh, introduction of uh, House Bill 2150 because basically it's uh, throwing Washington State into the national debate over former President Trump's legitimacy to appear on a presidential primary ballot, including the one you just spoke about, our March 12th primary ballot. Now, Christine Reeves, uh, she's a Democrat from Federal Way, has pre-filed HB 2150 aiming to prevent Trump or any candidate accused of insurrection as defined by the 14th Amendment from being listed on any ballot. And before we go into how that removal, I want to lay out a little bit of why she's doing this. Because you know, the reality here is it's going to take several legislative hurdles to really make this happen. Now, if passed, the bill could empower state lawmakers 
and or the Secretary of State to remove Trump from the primary ballot or invalidate votes he may have garnered. Now, here's Representative Reeves on why she introduced the bill. The top line message on this is we have folks who are going to be on the ballot this year that, in my personal opinion, um, have disqualified themselves from being able to participate in our election process um, due to their participation in insurrectionist behavior. You know, that was my first question to her. Then I said, no, really, are we talking about Donald Trump? And this is what she said. She he is the target. Really important for me to kind of express to people that, yes, Donald Trump is the example, but he's not the only person out there who this could apply to. So how will this work? Well, it would give the secretary of state and state lawmakers unprecedented power to remove not just Trump, but anyone it believes is it should be disqualified from running for federal, state or judicial office. Now, Derek Nunley, he's the deputy director of external affairs for the secretary of state. He says his office is still trying to digest the implications of this newly filed bill. This uh, legislation would give the secretary of state responsibility for determining who is eligible to uh, run for a state or federal office, and that would be a uh, shift of responsibility. A big shift in responsibility, because until now or currently, the Secretary of State is basically the administrator of elections. The Secretary has no say-so in who is qualified to run for office. But this law would give that office the power to investigate the background of candidates and then possibly disqualify them if they're accused of insurrection under the 14th Amendment. And that could be the criteria to remove them. Now, Nunley says, this, we're not talking just about Trump here. As they look at this law, they're talking about any candidate for president we're talking about and many more. Legislation calls for the Secretary of State to determine that each candidate meets the qualifications for office. Um, that's for state and federal offices. So it's not just the presidency and vice presidency. That's 375 different offices. That they, and there's multiple candidates in those offices. So now this is a new responsibility for the Secretary of State, an unfunded mandate, I guess, if this were to pass, to investigate everybody, whether or not they're qualified. Now, the bill also gives the House and the Senate the ability to disqualify a candidate from um, having their name uh, placed on a ballot with a simple majority vote. Now, how that works is that the House and the Senate will have to pass a resolution to order the Secretary of State to remove the name. But if the Secretary of State doesn't do that after 10 days, then both the House and the Senate, with a two-thirds vote, can do it themselves. Now, Reeves admits there's a lot of questions with this bill, and she'll be consulting with the Attorney General to answer them. Some of it is, I hate to say it in good Pacific Northwest terms, but we're kind of building the plane as we fly it. But the ultimate goal is about making sure not just Donald Trump, but for anybody coming after him. We have known Washingtonians who have been convicted of participating in what are defined as insurrectionist behavior. It's how do we ensure that folks are actually meeting those eligibility requirements, including not participating in uh, trying to overthrow your government. And finally, the, the bill includes a law, line that basically allows the federal courts, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, to supersede everything in this. The legislation includes a legal provision stating that it will follow all relevant, relevant court decisions interpreting the act of the 14th Amendment uh, when defining a person's eligibility for elected office under insurrection clause. So um, uh, there it is, Dave, kind yeah. of wrapped it up a little bit, a little bundle there, this new thing, this new bill. Is there a likelihood it could pass? We've got Democrats in control of the House and Senate, uh, and it's three Democrats that are names on this bill, but 
I don't know. It's well, a that's wild a, card. I mean, it, it does raise the issue. Uh, if this was used for political purposes, you know, if, if the party that controls the legislature could conceivably just kick their all their uh, the other party's candidates off the ballot, which would be uh, a bad thing, right? Well, I mean, but you have to be accused of something, you know, Um, you know, you have to be accused of something. But I want to point out that, you know, people are asking, were asking me when I was talking about this story. Well, how are you going to remove Donald Trump's name from a ballot? Now, yesterday, yesterday, uh, excuse me, two days ago, all the names were placed on the ballot. They made the deadline. There's five candidates, uh, Republicans, and, you know, the names, we all know the names, Christy, Haley, Trump. um, They officially made the ballot. I don't know if you knew this, but you, Dave Ross, anybody in the state of Washington, has until today to file uh, a challenge to those names. Mm-hmm. You have two days to do it, and you go to Thurston County Court, and you can try and remove the names yourself by the end of today. You have to file that. Um, but you know, if if let's just say the Trump's on the ballot, they all of a sudden legislature a couple days before the the, the primary, uh, they vote to oust him off the ballot. How will that work? I asked that of Christine Reeves, and here's what she had to say for that. But if ballots have already been printed and sent to voters, the number of votes that that person receives won't be published and may not be disclosed for any reason. Oh, so they just wouldn't count the votes. That's right. And Hmm. uh, trying to keep it secret, I guess. Uh, But that's that's how it's going to work, how how Washington will now have an opportunity to join all the other states there and who are being uh, contesting yeah. Donald Trump's appearance on the ballot. This is how Washington could do it in this one particular bill. Wow. All right. Well, that's uh, that ought to bring a pretty uh, lively debate when that uh, when that comes up. Do you have any uh, are you handicapping it? Is it going to pass? Um, I would say not this session. Um, yeah. It doesn't even have a hearing date. I think they're going to get a hearing date. It has to go to committee first and then before it goes to the floor. But right now, it's brand new, so there hasn't been a hearing date yet. And yet, the clock is ticking because March 12th is just 60 days away. Matt Margovich covering the state legislature. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome, Dave. 8.36, Seattle's Morning News. And with the new year, a lot of people are going to whip themselves back into shape by joining a gym. So how can you make sure you're not wasting money? Let's go to contributing editor of Checkbook.org, Herb Weisbaum, who joins us now. with All you need to know about the best gym memberships. So first of all, how do you – let's start with price, Herb. Yes, Checkbook rated 74 gyms and fitness centers in the Puget Sound area, Dave, and we found the prices vary greatly. Some clubs charge twice as much as others for about the same facilities and amenities. Our mystery shoppers called around to find out how much it would cost to join for 90 days for a single person with full access to the facilities, and prices range from $75 to about $400 for a normal fitness center, and about $500 to $4,900 for those fantasy athletic clubs you know the kind you go to Um, (laughs) you know the club i go to (laughs) i know you're cheap no by the way we have a a special link for cairo fm listeners so you can access these ratings for free Uh, just go to checkbook.org slash cairo fm slash gyms the link is going to be good until february 15th so you can get a look at all the prices we found one more tip about prices because many gyms have several fee plans and discount options, make sure the sales staff is offering you the best available rates. If you've never been to the gym before or aren't sure about the place, go on a month-to-month rather than signing up.
signing up for an annual membership, even if it costs just a little more if you pay it for a month, and ask if you qualify for any discounts. Maybe there's an arrangement they have between the facility and your employer or your health insurance plan. Many Medicare Advantage policyholders have access to programs that offer free or very low-cost memberships at participating fitness centers, something, Dave, you and I would know about and Colleen's not going to learn about for a number of years. <laughs> very good. Very good. I'm curious, is there is this like what we can do with cable companies and negotiate? Say, like, hey, I'm just thinking about leaving. Is there any extra discount you can give me to keep me here? Can you do that with gyms? Well, you can try, certainly. We're talking about joining a gym for the first time, mm-hmm. and that's where you want to make sure you say, like, is that really, you know, let's, is there a better price you can give me? Do I qualify for this? They have all kinds of discounts, and they're looking to sign members and members up. So absolutely, it's always uh, worth haggling. You never know what kind of thing they might offer you. Okay, so when you're looking, when you're shopping for facilities, what are, what are the things to, to look for in terms of what you can expect from the, the gym? Well, here are six things to consider, Dave. Is a location convenient? If it isn't, uh, you're not going to use it. So if you're still going to work, is it you want to work out there? Do you want to work out near your house? Is it open when you need it? You need to check out the hours, and especially if there are certain classes you're going to take, you want to know when those things take place. Does it have all the facilities and amenities you want? You know, if you happen to play uh, squash or racquetball or one of those, I know you play one of those court things, I can't remember which squash. one you play, hardball. Squash, right. Uh, Still beat Terry Rose, I bet. Um, (laughs) We haven't played in a while, Herb. Come on. Okay. (laughs) Well, he's 80-whatever years old. Yes, he is. Um, So uh, make sure it has that. If you need a pool, you know, make sure it has the facilities. Does it offer the classes or any activities you want to do? So check for that. If it's important for you, does it offer child care? Some people are looking for a facility that does that. And is the atmosphere right for you? You know, different clubs have different vibes. Some are attractively decorated and others are more bare bones. You know, some are there uh, to f- make you feel nice. Other theirs are like pick up places. I mean, what's the vibe of the place? Does that fit with you? And uh, that's the, the, those are the basic things to look for. Yeah, I will say it's worth doing. It uh, absolutely makes a difference if you go on a, a regular basis. So I uh, highly encourage you to join one if uh, if you haven't already. You have any tips, Herb, just to get us to the gym? That's that's my problem. <laughs> yeah. The minute I get home, I'm sitting down. <laughs> yes, I found that if I go with someone, it tends to encourage me to yep. do it more often. So I, oh, I don't feel like going to, ah, come on, let's go. Uh, you know, that's that's a big deal. Um, I also found, by the way, for if you can't really get started, we, we say try it before you buy it. So they all give guest passes. So ask them for a guest pass and show up when you would normally go so you can see how crowded the place is or how it is. So that's really important. That's a great way to try it. And, then, and you'll know if you like the place. And also, seriously, check how clean it is. Uh, we get complaints all the time about that the equipment isn't maintained, that it's broken down, that the place isn't clean, especially the locker rooms and the showers and that kind of stuff. So if you go, you know, for a, get one of these limited memberships, you can check it out and see if you really like the place. And then hopefully you'll find a system that encourages you. I say plan it like you would anything else. You put down your lunch appointments and your special meetings. Put this down in your schedule. Not uh, think about it. Just plan for this, whether you do it at lunch break or do it right after work or do it sometime. Make that part of your calendar so it's something you're expecting to do not i think i might do it today if i feel good about it consumer man herb weisbaum he's at checkbook.org thank you herb you're welcome dave bye colleen i'm dave ross and i'm colleen o'brien thanks for listening to seattle's morning news you can hear us live every morning on 97.3 fm or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show